following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. The moment that you gave up trusting yourself and trusting Christ, the day that you turned from living your way to following Christ's way, the hour you surrendered your life and sought to live following Christ's life in salvation, that is the day, that day, that you not only died to self, are you ready for this? You died to your stuff. All of it. That's the day you gave up owning all your stuff and became a steward of Christ's stuff. You for the first time recognized that it wasn't yours, but it belonged to who? It belonged to Christ. In fact, money, wealth, possessions. How are you doing with your stuff? King Solomon, among other things, allowed money to distort and destroy his spiritual life. Believers, Ananias and Sapphira, lied to the Lord about their money, and they were struck dead. Demas loved this present world so much, he walked away from the ministry, he walked away from Paul, he walked away from Christ. When Adam and Eve sinned, and the fall of mankind occurred, the very things that God had created to help us and also to cause us to enjoy life began to be loved in our hearts. So much so that it ultimately usurped the Lord's place as first love. People love things now and use people instead of loving people and using things. As a result of the fall into sin and also the corruption by sin in our hearts, people in general, and you see this all the time, fight over things. They steal things. They cheat to gain things. They do countless other actions to possess the things that they now love. But at true salvation, the Bible is really clear. When a man or a woman surrenders to Jesus Christ, they desire that Christ would be first and primary in everything in their life, and that the things, their retirement account, their money, their possessions, their car, their clothes, would never be in that first love place, ever. They want God to function as master, and they want the Lord to be first And not things. And that's exactly what Jesus does now in the Sermon on the Mount. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. If you're not there already, take the outline and follow along with us. If you're new with us, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. He's on the north shore of the Sea of the Galilee. He's talking to a huge crowd of people. And he is, are you ready? Exposing the listener's heart. The Sermon on the Mount could very easily be called the Sermon on the Heart because with every step, including today, he's going to say your material things, your possessions, your retirement account expose your what? 
your heart. Where you're really at. It shows you where you're really at. And this is the challenge that he's going to give us. This passage will help you know what to do when you find yourself loving things too much. This passage will demonstrate to you how you can make maximum investment into heaven and have it be eternal and last forever and not live for this world even though it's a wealthy culture. In fact, you may not have a lot of money, but you are wealthy biblically and therefore you need to know what to do with your possessions and what to do with your wealth. And today Christ is going to show us how possessions and how wealth actually do demonstrate. They actually x-ray where your spiritual condition is at. So read aloud with me verses 19 to 24. It's a very familiar passage, but the question is, do we really understand what Christ is saying here? So let's read it out loud. Ready, everybody? Here we go. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys or where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness... How great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either hate the one and love the other, or he be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This passage, the Lord wants you to have the right treasure. He wants you to have the right devotion. And he wants you to have the right master. So look at point number one as he walks this through, drawing out the text here. Number one, the necessity of surrendering your earthly possessions and money to heaven. The necessity of surrendering all that you have, all that you own, all of your finances, and say, they're all God's. They belong to Him. Not maybe in actuality spent for Him, but they are given to Him in your heart. They are surrendered. He begins this paragraph with, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, store up the verb and the noun treasure are from a similar Greek term. And so, what he's saying is, do not treasure your treasures on earth. Don't treasure your treasures. And treasure has to do with stockpiling, it has to do with hoarding those things that you own, making that your treasure beyond anything else. In fact, to treasure improperly is to hoard your possessions and your money with an attitude of lazy overindulgence. I've arrived. I got what I need. I'm comfortable. Load your barns full, in a New Testament way. Literally, Jesus' teaching, do not be treasuring your treasures on earth. Don't do that. Don't treasure anything more than heaven or Christ. Anything. Don't let this temporary life with this many things be your priority. Make certain your earthly life prioritizes Eternal heaven, eternal Christ as your greatest treasure. Now, this is also taught all throughout the New Testament. You know it. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, set your mind on the things where? Above, not on the things that are on the earth. So, you're saying, Chris, is poverty the way to go? Let's go full-on monk, right? 
Everybody in the room now wear burlap sacks for clothing, all right? And we're going to give everything we have away, and we're only going to eat squirrel, which kind of tastes dramatically like bald eagle and spotted owl. Okay, so here you go. Interesting enough, the Bible does not teach anywhere that poverty is preferred. In fact, Jesus is not advocating that poverty as a means of spirituality. In all his instructions, only once did Jesus say this, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. That's in Matthew 19. Now, the Bible does, and Jesus does say that he wants a heart willingness to give up all for him, a heart willingness. But in the situation of sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, that situation is with the rich young ruler. And his possessions were his idol. And it was a barrier to salvation, and it was a wall keeping him from actually intimacy with God, intimacy with Christ. It was between him and the Lord. His possessions made a wall. And actually, giving all his wealth away provided an excellent opportunity to expose whether or not the rich young ruler was committed to turning over control of his life to Christ. That was the point. His response proved that he was not ready for that. And therefore, the problem was not the wealth itself, but the man's unwillingness to part with his wealth and gain Christ in heaven. The issue was not what he owned. The issue was is that he wanted that more than he wanted Christ. The Lord does not require his disciples in any place to give up their money or possessions to follow him. But he does require <clears throat> that obedience to his commands should be followed no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. But for the rich young ruler, the price was too high because, why? His possessions were his first love. Was his problem possessions, yes or no? No, it was not. The problem was, is that, that, was, that he loved that more than Christ. That he wanted that more than Christ. Both the Old and New Testament acknowledge that a believer's God-given right to material possessions is sound, including Money, including land, including a home, including animals, except for cats, including clothing, anything that's honestly acquired is good. In His Word, God has made many promises, many of them, that are sometimes misused of material blessing to those who belong to Him and are faithful to Him. He blesses people with material things. And the foundational truth, get this, that underlines the commandments to not steal and not covet. What's the underlying assumption? Is the right of personal property. Stealing and coveting are wrong because what is stolen or coveted rightly belongs to somebody else. You can have things. You are a steward of them, but you can have them. With our possessions, though, God does command His people to be generous, open-handed, he also commands his people to be thankful. And you want to write this down. He commands his Christians not only to be thankful for them, but to, are you ready? Shocking, to enjoy them. He gave you those things for you to enjoy. You're wearing some of your possessions today. That's for you to enjoy. Where do you get that from? Very clearly, 1 Timothy 6.17, the Lord richly supplies us with all things to what? Enjoy. I want to say this about five times today. He gave them to you to enjoy 
And the secondary issue is for you to use that wealth and money to show off Jesus Christ. That's why you have them. To enjoy and to show off Christ. That's why he gave them to you. Now let's break this apart a little bit and focus here. First Timothy 6.17 is specifically directed to each single one of you here, no matter what your age. It says, the verse is directed at those who are rich in this present world. Some of you are going, I'm not rich. Oh, yes, you are. Because biblically, to be rich means you have enough food for that day. Some of you have a spread waiting for you at home today that is beyond what should anyone should eat. Right? You have a house that you can shelter in. That's number two. So enough food to eat every day, a house that can shelter you, and number three, clothes to keep you warm. If you have those three things, you are rich. If you are rich here, would you raise your hand? That's everyone is rich. Now don't panic. You're the rich, but the Bible does not command his rich children to distribute their wealth to the poor. That's socialism. Have you heard it lately? It does, in fact, warn them, though, to not be conceited about your money like somehow you're better if you have a lot of finances and not to trust in things, not to depend on those things. It's not wrong to be wealthy or to have possessions. Abraham was massively wealthy. Job was massively, massively wealthy. And there are many people throughout the ages who have been very wealthy because they worked hard and they followed good business practices. Sometimes they inherited that money, but they used it for God's glory. Now the ant is shown to be a model of a good worker, right? Proverbs 6, prepare her food in the summer, gather her provisions in the harvest. Proverbs 14.23, we're told that all labor, this is totally opposite of our day, all labor there is what? Profit. But mere talk, just talk about it, just do things, speculate, leads only to poverty. Get to work, he's saying. Proverbs 24, a wisdom, by wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, that house is established. By knowledge, the rooms of that house are filled with all precious and pleasant, what? Riches. Proverbs 28, 19, he who tills the land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits, the latest Instagram, this is how to become a millionaire, will have poverty in what? Plenty. See, so what about the kids, Chris? What are we supposed to do? Well, 2 Corinthians 12, 14 teaches parents to be responsible for saving up for their children. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 adds, if anyone will not work, neither let him what? Eat in the context of the church there. And 1 Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his own especially for those in his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an, unbel worse than an unbeliever. Hey, Chris, there's nobody starving, unclothed, unsheltered in my house. I must be doing okay. Men, what if you die? What if you die? Far too many loving Christian husbands devastate their wives, sometimes their children, by not providing life insurance to live in a wealthy culture. And this is a wealthy culture. Even after your death, men, you need to take care of your home. 
How about you're living comfortably because both husband and wife are working like dogs to provide? Does she have to work with young kids? Can you provide so that she can be a Titus II worker at home? How materialistic. We have, as a country, spread our materialism around the world. We're saturated with it. And it really takes effort to think biblically about our money and our possessions. It's right to provide for our families, to make reasonable plans for the future, to make wise investments, to have money to carry on a business, to give to the poor, to support the Lord's work. It's being dishonest, greedy, covetous, stingy, miserly about possessions that's wrong. That's what's wrong. Not having things, it's your attitude towards them. Honestly, to serve, to earn, to give is wise, but to hoard and spend on ourselves is not only unwise, it's sinful. Now look hard at what Jesus teaches here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. There's a key word there that should stand out to you. It's the word yourself. Do not store up for yourselves. In other words, when you accumulate possessions simply for your own sake, the motive is everything here. For yourself, when you hoard it, when you spend it selfishly, you want to be extravagant, you want to use those possessions for your own pleasures, that money can become an idol. Possessions, wealth, and your things that are wisely and generously used for Christ's purposes can be a means of accumulating heavenly possessions that will last forever. Are you getting this? When you use them for His glory, they become heavenly possessions that last forever. When you're filled with the Spirit, when you're living for the glory of God, the two conditions, then giving your possessions, giving your money away for His work is clearly a heavenly investment. Jesus is making that really clear here. But when your possessions or money are hoarded, not only do they become a spiritual hindrance, but they become a subject of loss and to loss through moths, through rust, and through thieves. Now, how does that work? Let's look at each one of them, all right? First, let's look at the moth, the moth. In ancient times, wealth was frequently measured by your clothing. Compared to our day of mass-produced clothing, garments in the Bible represented a considerable financial investment, right? Right? And isn't it true today? You wear Armani and somehow you're a cut above, right? So Jesus is kind of referring to this and he's saying not only uh, it was only the wealthy who had even more than one uh, ensemble of clothes. It was amazing. They're the only ones. And they had ways of displaying their wealth in their clothing by golden thread and by precious stones, can you say rhinestones? Okay, that was all part of it. But the best clothes were made of wool for everyone, rich or poor. And whether rich or poor, everyone had a hard time protecting their clothes from insects. Moths could actually destroy your wealth on earth by destroying your clothes. That's what he means by moth. Then he says rust. This is the only word here that is actually mistranslated. So I want to clarify it. Wealth in the first century was also measured by grain. This is an agrarian culture. If you had a lot of leftover grain, you stored that grain in barns, and that would be used to provide food for others, to be sold as profit. And therefore, the Greek word rust here, it literally means, write this word, an eating, 
uneating. And it's referring to something very unique. It, it is really translated eating food or meal everywhere in the New Testament except for right here. So I think it's a bad translation to call it rust. Rust here is referring to grain that is eaten by rats, mice, and eating, worms, insects, which was a very familiar problem. And the loss of grain from mice or insects, whatever, could destroy your wealth on earth. It was subject to that. And also, verses 19 and 20, you have thieves. Almost any kind of wealth is subject to thieves, which is why the everyday people listening to Jesus on the north side of the Sea of Galilee here in the Sermon on the Mount understood how thieves were a threat. Everybody got this. In the first century, you didn't have a bank. So treasure, the things you valued, was buried in the ground, hidden in a wall in the house, uh, somewhere kept on property or kept in the house in a secret place. And so Jesus says, when he says thieves break in, that word break in actually literally means dig through. What did they do? The thieves dug through the walls of the house to get into the house, to get in, to find where the treasure was. They dug up holes. They dig through to find where the holes were, where your bank was, so they could steal your stuff. You kept your own wealth in a secret place. Your wealth was threatened by thieves on earth. Now the Lord's point is that nothing we own is completely safe. Can I hear an amen to that? Oh wait, you know what? You just have to listen to the news, listen to the internet, listen to Instagram, and you're going to have all kinds of fears. They're telling you now that AI is going to steal all your money. All right? You better take your money, put it into gold. Uh, you better not trust the banks. They're going to change the currency. 224 is the year. It's all going to fall apart. Maybe it will. But let me reassure you, they're right. Okay? They're right. You don't keep your treasure. Can I hear an amen to that? You don't. The point is that even if you keep your possessions perfectly secure during your life, you're going to be separated by them at death. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Many earthly millionaires are going to be heavenly paupers. Many earthly paupers are going to be heavenly millionaires. Uh, wealth used only for earthly endeavors will not endure. It's not going to last. Wealth used for this planet is going to burn with this planet. It's not eternal. It's not heavenly. When your time and energy and money and possessions are used in the Spirit of God for the glory of God to serve others, to minister to others, you're saying, all my home and all its possessions and everything that I have is for you, Christ. I want to use it for you. I treat it as it's for you. I want to accomplish, I want to be a steward of it. I do want to be, you know, faithful to take care, but I also want to use it for your glory. It's all free. My retirement account is for your glory. It's to be used for you. Yes, it's going to maybe take care of me at a certain point in my life, but it's for you. And if you need it and you want it, it's yours. It's used to the glory of God. And so then when I disciple, I teach, I minister, I have this heart attitude to accomplish the Lord's work, then that money, those possessions that you have are completely free from destruction and from theft. They are going to last for all, what? Eternity. When used for heaven, 
Verse 20 says, Neither moth nor rust destroys nor thieves do not break in or steal. Heavenly security is the only absolute security. Amen? That's the point. And heavenly investment produces great interest, high interest. There will be heavenly reward. So in verse 21, Jesus even takes it a stab further. He goes, In your most cherished possessions... And your deepest motives, they're inseparable. So, do you have a heart that says, all that I have and all that I own and all my money is all Christ? Or is it mine and I live for it? You can't separate those two, your possessions and your motives. Because he says in verse 21, what? For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart is also. They will either be both earthly or both heavenly. It's impossible to have one on earth and one in heaven, okay? Uh, motives and possessions, they go together. Therefore, as always, the heart must be made right first. Once the heart is right before the Lord, then everything else in your life will find its proper place. And the person whose heart is right with the Lord will be generous and giving with the Lord's work and to the Lord's work. And at the same time, the person who is self-indulgent and stingy has a good reason to question where they're at. Because your heart, Jesus says, is being exposed. His goal, remember the Sermon on the Heart? Is to expose your heart. And he says, your treasure, your things, your money, tell you about your heart. They tell you. And it doesn't mean you've got to give everything away. We've already established that fact. It means your heart attitude toward what you have. Your heart attitude. Jesus is not saying that if we put our treasure in the right place, then our heart will be in the right place. No, that's not what he's saying. He is saying that, get this, the location of our treasure indicates where our heart already is. One more time. The location, whether heaven or earth, our treasure, where it is, in our hearts, in our minds, how we treat our things, how we value it, the location of our treasure indicates where our heart already is. God functions by this principle found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first of all your produce, first in your budget, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul assures us that he sows, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will also what? Reap bountifully, that's God's formula, for earning dividends eternally that are both guaranteed and eternally permanent. That's how you do it. Now, as we already told you before, early in the service, Pat and I and other elders just got back from New Zealand. I have just been in a foreign country, and I was there, and uh, they don't talk like Southerners, okay, but I was there in this foreign place, and I brought some money with me. Uh, not a lot, but enough to meet my needs. And I had a suitcase of possessions uh, that I could clothe myself and supply myself and if necessary, feed myself to survive in a foreign land in New Zealand, which is not a tough place to go. I've been to way tougher. And that's not, but I had enough with me. So I wanted to survive all my heart, all my investments, everything else was back home. That's you, Christian. That's you. 
you are now, as a Christian, in a foreign land. This world is not my home. Once you belong to Christ, heaven is your home. This world is no longer your home. And living here now is living in a foreign country. It is. You're an alien here. You're a foreigner here. You don't belong here. You're a tourist. Fauna. This world is temporary. Now as a Christian, heaven is your home. Heaven is where your treasure is to be kept, stored, invested, prioritized. Like me in New Zealand, I had just enough to survive in that foreign land, but my investment, my treasure was at home. That's you. That's me. Now in this home, I have just enough to survive on this planet, but my treasure, my heart is in heaven. Can I hear an amen to that? That's where we're at. And if you don't adapt that, you're in danger. And that's what Jesus says when he continues in point number two, the danger of cluttering your life with earthly possessions and money. You can clutter your life up. You can mess up your perceptions by your possessions and your money. How are you different? Are you clear or cluttered? Are you bright or bleary? He says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now he's just expanding what he's talked about here. Simple Bible interpretation here. If the paragraph or sentence before talks about money and the sentence after the paragraph talks about money, guess what that paragraph is talking about? He's talking about money right now. Right now, in this situation, the, the heart here is on display and the eye here is an illustration of the heart. The lamp or lens of the body is the eye and therefore all light that comes to us. So wealth either allows you to see clearly or your possessions, because they're so distracting, actually cause our sight to be cluttered. That's the point. When our wealth is ordered so that it is invested into eternal things, we see life on earth clearly. But when our possessions are all focused on selfish pleasure or earthly things, our sight is darkened. William Barclay explains it this way. Quote, The eye is regarded as the window by which the light gets into our whole body. The color and state of the window, the eye, decides what light gets into the room. If the window is clear, clean, undistracted, the light will come flooding into the room and it will illuminate every corner of it. If the glass window is distorted, dirty, or obscured, the light will be hindered and the room will be dark. So Jesus says the light which gets into any man's heart depends on the spiritual state of the eye through which it has to pass, for the eye is the window of the whole body. End quote. Let me ask you a question. Do you see spiritual things clearly? Is your vision for God and His Word and His will for your life clouded, though, by spiritual cataracts brought on by an unhealthy preoccupation with money and things, your stuff? He's saying if your focus is on your wealth and your possessions, it is going to cloud your spiritual vision. Sadly, I've known too many people, too many believers, you too, who have difficulty understanding, knowing, and following God's will. They think that God is far away from them because the windows of their heart are cluttered 
with stuff. Their heart is cluttered with a desire for money, possessions, and things. Their wealth and possessions are like boxes that are blocking the windows of their soul. And Jesus is asking you today, is your eye clear? That word clear is interesting because it can also mean single-mindedness. Is your eye single-minded on Christ or is it cluttered with all these things and possessions and wealth? The eye that is clear represents a heart that has a single-minded devotion. One of my favorite writers of all is J.C. Ryle. And he says this, singleness of purpose is one great secret of spiritual prosperity. The person whose focus is Christ and all his things and all their money and everything that they own is really for his glory, for his good. They're stewards of it, but it's for him. They have a single-minded spiritual blessing. But when it gets cluttered and distracted, then all of a sudden everything becomes dim. Closely related to the Greek word clear in the original language in verse 22 are the words for generous, informing you that the single-minded believer is generous and will gain spiritual understanding. But if you're cluttered with things, divided in heart, selfish in giving, then your entire life will be full of darkness, your windows will be blocked, and no light gets in. If your heart is encumbered by material concerns, you will become blind or insensitive to spiritual concerns. Did you get that? If your heart is encumbered by material concerns, money, wealth, possessions, etc. You will become blind and insensitive to spiritual concerns. In fact, Jesus says in verse 23, your eye, if your eye is bad, and you can write above that stingy, that's what he's talking about. Like Proverbs 28, 22, somebody whose eye is hastening after wealth, you scheme to get rich, you think about money, you long for more money. People of our world who are materialistic and greedy are spiritually blind. But Christians who are darkened by money and possessions have no way of recognizing the truth, are diminished in their ability to understand Christ's heart, are really warped in understanding God's priorities and what's best and wise. Let me put it to you this way. The believer with a materialistic bent will not see life accurately. The believer with a materialistic bent will not see life correctly. The way you look at, not that you own a lot or don't own a lot, that is not the issue here. But the way you look at and use your money, your retirement, your things, your possessions, the way you look at and use those things is an absolute certain barometer of your spiritual condition. The way you look at it and the way you use them. And although Jesus did not direct us away from possessions themselves, he does warn us here about the losing our spiritual vision because of our possessions. Losing it. You can tell whether riches have clouded your spiritual vision by the extent that you're generous with money and goods which you have been given. Do you have a single-minded heavenly purpose with the money and possessions that you steward Again, whether you have a lot or a little, do you have a single-minded heavenly purpose with them? Our Lord is asking you, how much 
does your money and possessions clutter your life, limit your ministry, stifle your generosity, cloud your spiritual priorities? Because surrendering and simplifying your wealth and possessions to Christ is the path of blessing. And the Lord wants to make sure you get how serious this is by adding then to the last part of the paragraph, point number three, which is the foolishness of attempting to live for both earthly wealth and heavenly reward. We would be tempted in a wealthy culture, in a materialistic culture, to say, I'm going to live for Jesus, and I'm going to live for wealth. And Christ says in verse 24, no one can serve, how many masters? Two masters. How many masters does a Christian have? One. You can't serve two. You can only have one. For either he'll hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You're saying, I want Jesus and I'm going to live for my car. Tesla, Corvette, something hot. Okay? Now, you can have a Corvette. It's fine. I hate you, but you're fine. It's fine. Okay, it's fine. But you can't live for that and Christ. Are you getting it? Some of you go, I want to be a 49er super fan. They're my team. I live for them. I know their names. I think, drink, eat 49ers. And I want to be Jesus. Okay, I want, I want, I want Christ. Some of you are going, I just want to see Taylor Swift today. That's, that's just where I'm at. <laughs> what... Jesus is saying is a major challenge to him as Lord and Master is wealth. Material thing. A major challenge to his. And we in the most materialistic society that has ever existed have to war against our culture. We have to war. This is a fight because it's wanting to take your heart and draw it away. It does. Our things. What are some of the things that draw our hearts away? What are the, some of the masters that we, you know, pursue at FBC and, and other places? Our elders said these things. Food, kids, sex, entertainment, school, work, friends, finding a spouse, love, comfort, health, reputation, social media profile, TV shows, binge watching, physical fitness, politics, Disneyland. I mean, it goes on and on. I haven't heard it, but I've seen it. I really have. I, 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 I want a nice house, a nice car, a handsome husband, an attractive wife, and, and I want to be pampered my whole life. I always want to be free. I always want to have what I want to have. I don't want to be persecuted. I want to be criticized. I don't want to call myself a Christian. Again, it's a heart issue that we're talking about here, not the issue, the things. They, they want both wealth and worship in their heart. They want both diamonds and discipleship. And they're craving both in their heart. And Christ says you can't in your heart. He's exposing hearts. And he says here, you cannot have your treasure both on earth and in heaven. You cannot serve two masters. Now masters here is the word Lord. And he's talking about being a slave. Some of you are thinking employment. That's a wrong idea. You can have three jobs and do a really good job at serving at three jobs. You can be an incredible witness and a hard worker at three jobs, no problem. But he's saying, look... You cannot be the slave of Christ and the slave of wealth. 
A slave owner has total control of a slave. For a slave, there's no such thing as a part-time obligation to his master. He owes full-time service to a full-time master. He is owned. You are totally controlled by your master. You have nothing left for anyone else. To give anything anyone else would make your master less than a master. It's simply not, it's not even just difficult. It's absolutely impossible. Christ is saying you can't do both. To serve two masters and faithfully be obedient slave to each one of them, divided loyalty is not an option. You cannot be devoted to two masters at the same time. A big threat to your true master is money. It's money. The issue is not what you have, but what controls you. If you live for the Lord, then you cannot live for wealth. If you live for your wealth and money, possessions, then you cannot live for Christ. Write this down. Your obsession for money as it increases, your passion for the Lord decreases as a Christian. As your obsession for money increases, your passion for the Lord decreases. We cannot claim Christ as Lord if our allegiance is to anything and anyone else. John Calvin, the great reformer, tells you, Christian, where riches hold the dominion of your heart, God has lost his authority. Where riches hold the dominion of your heart, God has lost his authority. Now, when we know God's will and we resist obeying God's will, we're giving evidence of a false master. We can no longer serve two masters at the same time any more than you can walk in two different directions at the same time. You can't do it. Jesus says you'll either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one or despise the other. Listen, are you getting it? There's two masters. They're ordering you, slave, to do two different things. Diametrically opposed. One master is commanding you to walk by faith. The other one's commanding you to walk by sight. One master is calling you to be humble. The other one's calling you to be proud. One master is telling you to set your minds on things above. The other master is saying, you better be focused on things below. One of the masters is telling us to look towards things unseen. The other one is telling us to only look at what is seen. And one of the masters is calling us to seek eternal things. And the other master is telling us to teach and live and die for temporary things. Do you understand how opposed they are? Absolutely opposition. The person whose master is Jesus Christ will say, whether I eat, whether I drink, Whatever I do, whatever I own, I do all to the glory of God. You'll be like David, Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord continually before me. Our treasure is either on earth or in heaven. Our spiritual life is either full of light or it's cluttered and full of darkness. And our master is either God or it is what we own. Our possessions, our wealth, our money. Surrendering and simplifying your wealth and possessions is the path to great blessing and great influence. Let's take it home. Are you ready? Letter A. Make certain your money and possessions belong to Christ and not you. Your retirement, your savings, your possession, your house, your car, your, your passes, your travel, your children. Do they all truly belong to the Lord? Are you ready? Catch this. Please write it down in your heart. That's the issue. Colossians 1.16 says, All things have been created through Christ. And the last three words are what? And what? For Him. Everything you own, everything you have, 
Everything you possess is for who? Christ. He made them all. They're all for Him. You can enjoy them. You're a steward of them. But they should never. This is so gross. It's almost sick that you would take an earthly object, a thing, and that you would make that your first love in comparison to the Redeemer who saved you and crucified Himself for you and made a place for you forever. It's absolutely nauseating. And every one of us has done it. Be aware. Make sure Christ is your first love. Letter B, make eternal choices in everyday life. Life is made of choices. Decisions shape your character, power your influence. They open up influence. Every single day you're confronted with choices, right? And sometimes they're easy. God, Satan, you know, sin, uh, not sin, holiness, uh, wrong, right, unbelief, unbelief, uh, righteousness, unrighteousness, obedience, disobedience. But in our materialistic, comfortable, feel-good society, sometimes we get a little confused and, and we need to determine, is this earthly treasure or is it heavenly treasure? Have I really surrendered it to Christ? Not that I'm giving it all away. I'm saying, but it belongs to Him. And the choices get a little more costly in our heart. They're very simple, though. And Jesus made them simple by saying, there are only two places our treasure can exist. On earth or in heaven. Start making eternal choices with your time, with your money, with your possession. You know it's freeing? It's your stuff, Lord. I want it to be used for your glory until I can come home and be with you forever. The only investments that are going to last forever, the only ones that are not going to burn are the ones we already place in heaven. This world's not your home. Let us see. The wealthy are to enjoy, do good, be generous, and be ready to share. Write it down one more time. One more time. Are you ready? You enjoy the things that God has given you. Don't be guilty about that. Enjoy it. Listen, somebody's wealthier than you and they enjoy richer stuff, let them enjoy it. Don't resent it. Let them enjoy it. God made them that way. Let them enjoy it. It's their heart before the Lord, whether they're generous and giving, etc. But we're all wealthy in God's terms, right? First Timothy 6, 17 and 18, what's it say? Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Don't be conceited. Don't think you're better than anybody don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't put your confidence there. Put your confidence on God who richly supplies you with all those things that he gave you, all that money he gave you to enjoy. But as you do, be instructed by Paul here, by the Holy Spirit, to do good, to be rich in good words, to be generous to a fault, be ready to share. Understand, it all belongs to him. Are you going to take any of it with you when you die? Yes or no? No, let that be pressed in your head. It's on loan to you. Enjoy it and use it to point to Christ. Use it to show Him off. Use it to glorify God. And so do good deeds. Be rich in good works. Be generous, bountiful. That's even beyond what you're able. Be ready to share, to show off Christ and demonstrate. Letter D, simplify your life. Own less and live more and give more. Uh, don't love things and use people. Love people and use things. And even beyond that, do you understand that possessions are a stewardship and they take time? When you buy something, you're a steward of that thing. Now you've got to maintain it. Some of you are not reading the fine print. 
When you buy something, you know, you read the manual, all of a sudden you buy that swing set for the kids in the backyard, you got to oil it every week. I'm not oiling it. My kids are going to die. I don't care. I'm not oiling that. I don't want to be a... But we are. We keep everything we own. Makes more demands on us. More demands. You buy a boat, you're going to clean that boat more than you're going to ride that boat. You know what I'm talking about. You get a cabin at the lake, season tickets, yearly passes, all that makes major demands that takes you away from eternal things. Be a good steward, and sometimes that means don't buy it. Seek to own less. Don't possess as much. Live more, give more. And letter E, take the Lord's warnings about money and possession seriously. Listen, if you can't give any of it up, Money, retirement, wealth, possessions, car. If you can't give any of it up, you don't own it. It owns you. Look up here. See this? See this hand? This is the hand of the world. And if this is your hand, it tells you something about your heart. The hand that Christ wants is this hand. Everything is for you. To be used for your glory. Everything. That's the heart that you want. That's the heart that Christ gives. Every Christian in this room, even though you struggle with this, you want this. And if you're saying, no, I don't don't want that. I don't want that heart. Then it may mean that your heart is not right. Your heart has not been born again. You may have an external Christianity, but not the one that transformed you from the inside out called regeneration where you're born again. He gives you a new heart that says, I want what he wants. Because really, again, what's the Sermon on the Mount about? Your heart and your possessions and your money determine and show you what your heart is like. And Christ says it like nobody can say it. Amen to that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take your word and cause it to do its work in our lives. And if there's anybody here who has that closed fist, has a hard heart towards you, would you help them to realize that you are God who provided salvation different than any other faith on planet. You saved us. You provided a way. It's not our good works. It's not us being nice and giving and all that kind of thing. It's all about what you did. And that you suffered and died for the sin that separated us from you and that you rose from the dead. And when we surrender to your life and your actions on our behalf, you can cover us with your righteousness, make us right before you and transform us internally so we can live for you. And Father, we pray that you would do so for your glory. We pray now that you would be honored and glorified by how we respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.